Welcome, everybody, to episode 76, Ooh. 76, <laughs> Trombones, uh, 76 number of the Better Beaters podcast, which, as usual, features myself, Ben. And David. And this week, we are going to be following in the footsteps of previous podcasts and talking about cliffhangers. Yes. And the particular hangers that we're going to be talking about <laughs> this week are the hangers of... John Nathan Turner. Yep, the 1980s. The hangers of the, the 80s. JNT era. The JNT hangers. Jan, Jan, <laughs> Jantangers. Yep. Which I'll have to, uh, without, without fear of contradiction, I, I will say that this is, uh, David and I are not big fans of the 80s, <laughs> right? Yes, that is why we are not doing a specific episode for... Peter Davison for Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy, and we roped in the final final series of Tom Baker to yeah. uh, try to find enough cliffhangers that we truly enjoy truly and think enjoy. of as yeah. good cliffhangers. Um, let the record state, though, however, we do very much enjoy the Doctors of this era, mm-hmm. um, yes. and also we like the Companions as well, by and large, more um, or less, more yep. or less. But we just don't we don't really like the stories that much and mm-hmm. the production and the scripts and special <laughs> effects and, and pretty much most of it to be honest. And if you haven't listened to us before, you have to excuse us. This is our teenage rebellion years. When yeah, we were rebelling against who and all of its things. Yeah, it wasn't as good as when we saw it as children because that because it actually wasn't as good. That's, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, well, think, I, I think objectively, polite. Yeah. Well, I think objectively, it wasn't as good. I mean, mm. it's not just well anyway. Yeah. Yeah, we can. Yeah, <laughs> we've talked about this before. So we need to we need to crack on with the hangers, don't we? Yeah, simple ground rules. We'll take turns here, and yep. then if we strike upon a cliffhanger that uh, both of us share, one of us will say "snap," and snap. we'll discuss it in unison. In unison, as, as if we were one gestalt being, a duet of podcasting. Exactly, <laughs> we were like a fendal of, of mm, podcasting, a fendaline, yes, a fendaline of some kind of podcasting fendaline. Um, so. Who's going? Who's who's going first? Uh, <laughs> I'll go first. There you go. Okay, there you go. <laughs> okay, so my first JNT hanger is dun, 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 <laughs> the end of part three of the Keeper of Trocken. Ooh, okay. And yeah. what is going on then? <laughs> you mean you can't remember? <laughs> no. <laughs> How dare you? If you call yourself a person who has a Doctor Who podcast, that's ridiculous. Uh, Turn in your podcast license right now. Uh, okay, I'll give you a quick summary, which I'm basically reading off the internet. Anyway, so basically, um, we've had three episodes of you know various kind of Traken-esque comings and goings. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a keeper. He's the keeper of Traken. He's being replaced. Um, there's some mithering around in a garden. Nissa also is wallowing around in a dress, blah blah. And there's a Melka. Yep. There's a Melka. There's a Melka in the garden. 
It is a surprisingly successful piece of garden statuary um, <laughs> that I think is based on a sculpture by Umberto Bocchioni, which is in the Tate Gallery. Okay. Um, but actually, da, 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 spoiler alert, it's not really just a Melka. Um, a Melka is, they don't really explain what a Melka is, to be honest. It, only it's like a statue of some evil thing. Right. Well, maybe a statue, but uh, maybe the kind of, you know, uh, petrified remains of, of the evil Melka. Because all evil has been banished from the Trakan Union. Yep. But actually, it's not a Melka at all. It's, in fact, the Master's TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Um, and inside it is the Master. I remember at the time being a bit disappointed because, I, I mean, Jeffrey Beavers is a great actor. He's done a lot of great mastering yep. um, for Big Finish. But apparently, because he's an actor, he refused <laughs> to wear a proper Master, decayed Master right. mask and wanted to use his real face to be the master. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, they had the rather strange disguise for him. He has a lot of kind of grungy makeup, and then they kind of paint teeth effects on his lips. <laughs> yes. So it's actually, it's actually it's a precursor to, like, the silly costumes that the master has throughout the 80s. <laughs> it's where he got the idea. He <laughs> really got the idea of dressing up as a, as a wizard and things like that. Basically, I'm just going to paint teeth effects on my lips. <laughs> And that'll make people think that those are my right. teeth, even though you can actually see my teeth. Anyway, I digress. So I'll just read out what happens. The Melka statue dematerializes from the grove with a TARDIS-like sound as Katura and Luvik prepare to use their consular rings to connect Cassia to the source. The Doctor bursts into the chamber and pleads with Katura not to complete the transition, but she ignores him. Cassia screams in agony and disappears. The Melka statue materializes in her place. Mm, we have a new keeper. <laughs> and that was actually a pretty because you know they set up the keeper Trakan and this kind of big thing, and we knew the Melka was up to no good. I think at this point we didn't know exactly who was inside no, the no. Melka or what was going on. Episode four, we find out it's the master. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of not expecting the Melka to be quite so kind of upfront in its kind of evilness, right. um, and it's actually it's a pretty it's a pretty convincing cliffhanger actually mm-hmm. and I actually like the Keeper Trock and obviously I'm mocking it slightly here I can't remember when I last watched it but I can remember when I did watch it last I actually kind of enjoyed it more than I thought I would it's always kind of left me cold. I just never really warmed the Keeper of Tarkin. There's a lot of fannying about. Um, it's it's a really good example of, I think we were talking about last week, of kind of, you know, Zog from the planet Zog <laughs> does a Zog, mm-hmm. nobody cares. There's a lot of, like, you know, the 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 Tarkin Union, blah, 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 people called Cassia, right. people called called Katura, mm-hmm. people called Luvik. You know, don't nobody right. cares what your names are, you know. And anyway. really, would anyone care about Tarkin if, Nissa didn't become a accidental companion of the Doctor in the next episode. No, I mean it's really it's kind of Croton level. Don't care right. about who these people are. <laughs> and again, yes, if it, I mean Nissa and Sarah Sutton. Sarah Sutton is wonderful. I love Sarah Sutton mm-hmm. probably even more nowadays than I did her than I did then. And you know, obviously, we care about Traken because Sarah Sutton, uh, Nissa of Traken, becomes I think to me the most successful of the fifth doctor's companions okay. yeah. yeah there you go i'm i'm really i'm really putting putting it out there but i think it's true yeah interesting yeah I um, do, do, do you remember this cliffhanger? I do at all, remember it this? now that you mention it. It's sort of uh, <laughs> <laughs> not that I mentioned um, it. It just not that you bring it up. Like I said, nothing really of the Keeper of Tarkin really excited me at the time, and <laughs> it's not one that I go back and watch very often. I mean, I have vaguely. I mean, I, I haven't for my action figure collection. I haven't. I've vaguely thought about buying the Melka action figure. They have figure. one. Uh, they do have one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it comes in a set though, so you have to get it with like a. 
a Tom Baker, uh, like, dressed in his kind of, you know, Season he's 18. got his jacket off. Oh, okay. Season 18 gear, yeah. So, and I don't really like the sets because they're in big boxes and you can't really can't really display so, them. So, so you anyway. get a Jeffrey Beaver's Master with it? Uh, yeah, and you get a Beaver's Master. So that's another plus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, the more I talk about it on this podcast, the more I think I'm just going to go <laughs> buy one. Um, I just like the idea of just having a Melka mm-hmm. just around the yeah. place, you know. Yeah. Materializing here, materializing there. Yeah, if I was if I was a, a Doctor Who merchandise-making person, I'd make a little concrete Melka that you could have in your car. Mm-hmm. No, that would be a good idea, you know, kind of, yeah. holding a bird bath or something like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. All so of those if, if you had a uh, TARDIS, would, would you go for the Melkor out, outward appearance as disguise or some other kind of uh, modern art sculpture? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, obviously, the Melkor, as I said, is you know, based on a, on a futurist sculpture from Italy in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, yeah. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe I'd go for... I don't know. You go for a Duchampian TARDIS. <laughs> okay. It would be like you'd be the large glass, and it would just kind of open, and you'd be able to step out of a, of a, of a pane of glass. Oh, that'd be kind of cool. Um, and um, yeah, that would be that'd be a great entrance. And we'd also you could just hang out in the take gallery all day because um, you'd blend right in. Your TARDIS would your TARDIS would fit right in. You'd be like John Cleese and Eleanor Braun in uh, City of Death. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's my first. Okay. That's my first cliffhanger. I'm going to go a little bit earlier in the 1980s here, and I'm going to go with the Leisure Hive, or Leisure Hive. Part- the Leisure Hive. That makes <laughs> it sound very special. <laughs> it's the American pronunciation. Okay, the yeah. Leisure Hive, part two. Oh, okay. Yeah, you'll have to, you'll have to <laughs> remind jog me. Jog your memory on that one. <laughs> I have to jog my memory. I did, I did write myself out a little description here. Okay. The doctor is on trial for murder. Meanwhile, Romana helps Hardin solve his Tachyon time experiment problems to rejuvenate the Argolans. They rush into the boardroom where the doctor's trial is taking place to tell Mina that they have solved their problems. She decides that she'll be the first to go through the new process. Hardin suddenly objects and says there needs to be one more experiment. Mina's son, Pangol, smiles devishly and decides the doctor will be the guinea pig. Uh-oh. Romana assures the doctor it'll only shave off five to ten years of his age. The doctor says he'll take his chances. He steps into the box. Romana returns back to the lab and notices the experiment has failed. She rushes back to find the doctor inside the tachyon machine already. She opens the door, gasps. An old man emerges. The doctor is 500 years older. Wow. That one made a big impression on me when I saw that. Really, and really. Yeah, yeah. I, the, like, the makeup, yeah. the makeup was very convincing. It is. This it was is. this was the '80s. This was brand new. We didn't have the '70s look. This was very, very fresh. And the soundtrack was all the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. It just really made an impression to me that, wow, this is a great makeup job on Tom Baker. He really does look ancient and wizened it's a remarkably good i mean you know i mean i mean let's not just blame doctor who for having bad old people makeup i'm bad old people makeup is like standard in this period they did an excellent job with the makeup it's Um, very convincing really really convincing yes say you can compare it to the last of the time no one after utopia oh yeah um uh, the sound of drums isn't it sound of drums yeah yeah yeah. sorry yeah yeah. so you compare it to the, the old old doctor the little shrinking dobby doctor and the sound of drums 
to the old doctor makeup in the leisure hive it's just night and day that's just it's so much better in the 1980s than it was in the mid 2000s for aging the doctor it's much more convincing the Dobby Doctor, the the sound of drums aging effect is done mostly with CGI, and it's a, you know it's kind of a Gollum esque mm. uh, character. But this is done in the Leisure Hive; it's just purely makeup, and it's it's just so much better, and it's so much more convincing. And honestly, the the Doctor looks older than when you know Tom was probably in his mid mid late forties than he does now as a eighty year old. You know, the actor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they made him look truly ancient. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I, th- I think the best old age makeup job for the Doctor is actually also in um, uh, season three of New Who, which is when they age David Tennant in the final minutes of... Um, human Nature? Yeah, Human Nature and Family of Blood with Human Nature. Yep. With it's, But he's only on screen for like a second, a couple of seconds. That seems to me the most effective old age makeup. Uh-huh. In, in New Who, but no, yeah, this is this is very good makeup. It's very very convincing. He, you know, he actually looks older. Yeah, he looks he looks more like an old Tom Baker then than old Tom Baker looks like an old Tom Baker right. now. Well, it looks like an ancient Tom Baker. Ancient it looks like Tom an Baker. ancient Doctor. Yeah, and yeah. you know, we had additional old age makeup in the last Matt Smith story, which is what the time of the Doctor. Oh yeah, that was really plastic looking. Yeah, they really slapped on the latex with that one. Yeah, yeah, it didn't look as convincing as this. So the the makeup artist of the the Leisure Hive it just did a fantastic fantastic job. Yeah. Yeah, well well done. Well done um the Leisure Hive <laughs> or even the Leisure Hive. Yeah. yeah who yeah. was who was who was the makeup artist on it? Do we know? Yeah. Can we can we give uh, them a shout out? Dorka Niradzic. Wow. Excellent. Um good cliffhanger. Um how is how is the cliffhanger resolved, pray? He spends all episode three and most of episode four as an elderly Time Lord, and he's helped around, and Tom Baker does a really good job. Of pretending to be old. Of being an old, old man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he enters in the Tachyon machine with Pangol in the middle of part four, because Pangol's going to be cloning himself to have the Argolan army. Right. And you have that big radiophonic... March and then you have all these Grecian Argolan warriors troop out and the doctor troops out and he's since he's been in this Tachyon regeneration machine he is reversed and he's a 40 year old time lord rather than a well, of looking 40-year-old Time Lord rather than the ancient wizened uh, doctor that was there. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of setting the agenda for kind of it's adding another layer of, 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 of how, how Time Lords age. Because, you know, mm-hmm. I think previously, oh, I guess we've known that Time Lords can get old within their regenerations. Right. But it really does kind of demonstrate that the doctor re- perhaps regenerates more often than a Time Lord should because mm-hmm. he puts himself in danger. Right. And we, we see that in Gallifrey, like in uh, The Deadly yeah. Assassin. Yeah, they're the, all. Yeah, they're, they're all kind of old geezers. Castellan Spandrel and all of those Castellans. <laughs> yeah. Well, very good. An excellent cliffhanger. I commend right. you. Yes. So you're number two. Are you Wait. still in the 1980s, or have we regenerated now? Um, we are now in 19. Uh, let's get the date right. Hang on. Um, we're in 1982. Oh, okay. Season 19, and we are at the end of part two of Kinder. Ooh, okay. Again, a story which I remember not liking at all when it was first when it first came out. 
mainly because even to my, well, how old was I, 1982, you know, I was getting mm-hmm. on for 16 years old. Of course, the effects looked awful. Um, right. And, and I think actually in some ways I was comparing, I think I remember being bitterly disappointed that the jungle wasn't yes. as good as the jungle from Face of Evil, which it isn't. Mm-hmm. Planet um, of Evil, even. Uh, sorry, uh, Planet of Evil or Face of Evil. Actually, right, both, both of the of yeah. evils, yes. Um, <laughs> if it was only Kinda of Evil, we would have had a better, <laughs> better kinder, jungle. The Kinda of Evil. The Kinda of Evil, or is it good? Yes, is what they should have called it. Um, and I think it's real. And I, I think even then, I could see the other reason. Well, A, they were too cheap to like spring for a proper jungle. And B, mm-hmm. there was this silly tank that Hindle trundles around oh, in, yeah. which is um, has to have a flat floor because it's like a Dalek. Anyway. Yeah. So what is this cliffhanger? <laughs> the cliffhanger <laughs> is, um, so uh, there's various, you know, shenanigans mm-hmm. uh, going on. Um, I'm not going to bore you or even myself with actually <laughs> telling you so- what they are. Um, <laughs> but there's a box, and I actually I remember this quite well. There's a box. Um, oh, hin- is, are they in a cell then? They are in a cell. They're in a cell, yes. Um, uh, there's a box which has probably got some evil in it of some kind. Our heroes, the Doctor, Sanders and Todd, Todd being the girl one, Sanders being um, the confusingly actor who actually is called Todd, um, is, is the, <laughs> He's is the, the old, is the, man. is the old, old man one. Yep, exactly. Um, there's a box. Hindle is the mad one. He's gone mad. The jungler right. sent him crazy. Um, there's a box that's probably got a bunch of evil in it. Mm-hmm. And then he orders the Doctor to open the box. The Doctor opens the box. And then Todd, who's the girl one, of course, then screams... Mm-hmm. Because some evil is going to come out, right? So you you like uh, Nearest Hughes's uh, <laughs> screaming? <laughs> yeah, this is Nearest Hughes, isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah, again so li- of the liver birds, of the liver birds, um, liver birds. Yep. Okay, uh, yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, I'm correcting your pronunciation every time this week. <laughs> That's yes, Nearest Hughes. Par for the course. <laughs> Unfortunately, again, I did actually remember for, remember her from the liver birds. So it's like, oh, it's, yeah, it's Nearest Hughes from the liver birds. She looked really good in the Kinda. She did. She did. She did. No, she looked. She looked. She looked very fine. Um, Richard Todd, who plays uh, Todd, who plays Sanders, exactly, is of course a famous actor, most famously known, of course, for playing um, Guy uh, Guy Gibson from the Dambusters. Hmm, okay, um, that's uh, why the, the movie, the movie, the movie, the Dambusters, exactly, yeah. um, which is where I knew him from. Can't, I don't know who, who Hindle was played by. Who Hindle Simon was, but, Rouse. But he was pretty, you know, unhinged and box opening thing. But this is, again, I remember is a pretty effective cliffhanger because the way the cliffhanger is resolved is what comes out of the box is... Jack in a box. It's a jack in a box. Yep. It's not an evil at all. I think it's a very, very effective piece of drama mm. only let down by production values, 1980s production values. Yeah. I mean, it's very similar, you know, I think as people have complained with a lot of 1980s, it's just overlit. It's too bright. It's um, um, too bright, but also the the jungle set on the soundstage just does not do it any favors at just all. Just turn the lights down, and you might be able to see less of it. I mean, it's not it's not even as good as the jungle on Planet of the Daleks, which is a really poor jungle. Or the jungle in Nightmare in Eden. Or any jungle, if you come which to mention it. Which was just a season before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I mean, they could have just re- reused that jungle, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, the climax of Kinder has a giant snake, um, which, you know... Very panto. The best willow in the world, like, 
how did they think they were going to do a convincing giant snake? Of course, on your DVD, you have some added restoration team special effects that mm-hmm. make a, a CGI giant snake, which is a lot better. And actually, I, I when I've watched Kinder, when I've rewatched it, I watch it with uh, I watch it with the special effects on because um, it's just like just it's just more convincing, basically. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it is kind of like a pantomime snake. Yeah, I I, I like Kinder, and that's a, that is a good cliffhanger. It's kind of uncharacteristic of Todd, I thought, to be uh, screaming in that place. But well, uh, she's a she's a pretty strong character throughout yes. Kinder, and, yes. and unfortunately, the reason why I reference her as being the girl one is she's given a girl job to do in At this that scene, point, which yeah, is like yeah. make a screaming sound, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, Richard Todd probably could have playing Sanders. He would have made an he would have done an excellent cry. Mm, um, I think so. He yeah, because he was a really good actor. Um, and uh, he was also kind of childlike. You, he was uh, true infantized that, he, in the in the story. Kind of regress. So that would have right. worked quite well. But I right. think you know, again, it's probably Saywood saying like, okay, that's the girl. She's got to scream. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but I like it. It's it's it's, it's a good cliffhanger, and it, you know, again, it is resolved in the you know completely. Carpet gets logical pulled, way to pull yeah. down from under you and it's a yeah, mm-hmm. so, yeah the tension is broken with laughter it says here on the <laughs> on the on this synopsis that i'm looking at yeah uh, okay yeah anyway yeah, good okay. good on you all right next one I'm going to go backwards in time, Ooh. and I'm going to go to a cliffhanger that really isn't a cliffhanger, and oh. this is the end of Warrior's Gate Part Four, and. I was very disappointed to find that there wasn't a Romana and K-9 in E-Space spinoff. So I will recount the scene here. Okay. The Doctor, Romana, and Birok, who is one of the Thralls, or not Thralls, Thralls, the, the Lion People, um, they've escaped. <laughs> Just call them the Lion People. The Lion People. The Lion they've, People. They've escaped and have made it back to the TARDIS before uh, the Captain Rorvik fires his engines trying to blast his way through the gateway between E-Space and N-Space. The Doctor orders Romana inside, and she says she's not going. The famous line, I've got to be my own Romana. Yep. The Doctor says, hang on one minute, and hands her K-9. K-9's been uh, damaged by the time winds, and he'll be safe behind the mirrors with Romana. And he goes, you are the noblest Romana of them all. Um, okay. Which was a nice farewell scene. Mm-hmm. A, a kind of reminiscence of uh, uh, Goodbye Savage, or I'll Miss You Savage, uh, when he, the Doctor said, in to the camera uh, at the end of invasion of time for Lila's departure, but it was you know a, a nice a nice farewell to Romana. Um, Romana, Birok, and K nine leave. They cross in the mirror. Rovik starts the engines, trying to blast his way through the gateway. The gateway crumbles a little bit, but uh, Rovik's ship is entirely destroyed. And then with the the TARDIS dematerializes, uh, Romana and K nine and Birok see the TARDIS go and. K-9 informs Romana that he has the complete set of plans to build a new TARDIS for Romana for E-Space. And then Romana tells K-9 that they're going to help free Birok's enslaved people. She says, that's something we've got to do, don't you think? K-9 agrees with her. Then back in N-Space, back in the TARDIS, Adric asks um, the doctor if Romana's will be all right. The doctor just kind of looks down and just kind of almost underneath his breath saying, all right. She'll be superb. And I was 11, 12 years old at the time. I remember waiting (laughs) for (laughs) the Romana series because I thought, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to have the Doctor and Adric go off. You know, Tom Baker and Adric are going to have adventures, and now I'm going to have adventures with Romana. 
uh, Lala Ward and the K9. <laughs> and I remember calling the public television station, KTCA, saying, when is the Romana <laughs> Adventures going to be on? And they were like, the what adventures? <laughs> the very, the very confused uh, receptionist just uh, I re- patched me into programming. A uh, so person in programming awesome. says they do not make the decisions, but if the BBC does offer the Romana Adventures, the person assured me that they would carry them. And so I was waiting as a 12 and 13 year old for the Romana Canine E-Space Adventures with their companion, the Lion Man Burak, for months. And I was so disappointed that it never, never happened. So it is the cliffhanger oh. that has left me hanging. Oh my goodness! That is of, of out of seventy six podcasts, that is the saddest story <laughs> we have told. I'm that just is imagining the, that, is that fat, sad fanboy there. That poor twelve year old David like, calling up, <laughs> calling up the local PBS station, in Minnesota, going like, "When? When will it happen?" And then going, "Don't know." <laughs> Maybe, I mean, <laughs> maybe soon. But we we promise, if Romana K nine and the Space Lion People adventures happens, we'll be the first to show it. You know, and then and they bang, and they put the phone down and, and block that number. <laughs> yes, never let that person call this station ever again. Oh, oh god, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. But I mean, they were very kind. I remember being very kind and very polite and I'm, I'm sure the conversation didn't last more than five minutes but it just it's seared into my wow. mind and i you know i've never followed up i don't know if big finish ever did had layla ward do romana I, adventures with I, in I, e-space with the thralls or Thera. i am remembering that in the 90s there was like they couldn't call her romana but it was like the mistress and k9 or something Okay. Yeah, I think there was some audio adventures done by like Bill Bags or you know okay, one of well, those well, weird Bill Bags people. Is behind audio. Bill Bags is behind audio visuals. So. Yeah, I, it, I, I'm, I'm, I'll have to, I'm not going to look that up right now, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure that they that they existed, but they probably weren't as good as as you imagined they might have been in that telephone call. I'm, I'm what I'm hoping now is that is that is that um you know uh, TPT have an archive of all people who call internet <laughs> and if we went we went to their went to their their, their extensive telephone call archive oh, we could uh, actually yeah. pull up your 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 yeah, little this, voice like this pleading. call will be monitored for, <laughs> <laughs> yeah for customer yeah, for customer service purposes i just was really hooked by the story and i thought you know with yeah. the theros and the gundans and romana it's, it's a good they, story it's a good story totally yeah. set up that ending for a spin-off and to me that's a better spin-off enough than K9 and company oh, with God, uh, yes. Sarah Jane. And I mean, if if they wanted a secondary, you know, they could have done another TARDIS, you know, Lala Ward's uh, Romana could have, it, I just could have imagined a very, uh, a female-centric Doctor Who, which we're going to get. Which we're going to get. Um, back in 1980-81 time frame. I would have watched the heck out of it. Yeah, I watched it. And, and again, I think this is one of the things that confused me at the time. It's, you know, when they did the Sarah Jane adventures, it's, and then all of a sudden, you know, K-9 becomes a Sarah Jane thing. And I remember, mm-hmm. again, thinking at the time, like, no, K-9 is a Romana thing. Like, right. K-9's got nothing to do with Sarah Jane. Right. How? Yeah, it's sort of like, why would... Yeah, and how, which which canine is that? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, no. There there is there is an alternate reality where your where your young self was satisfied, and that and that spin off. Yeah, if happened. I was a 
fanfic writer, I would have been writing yeah. all that, but nope, not not me. I can't see how it would be very much different from regular Doctor Who. but No, um, it wouldn't be, but that's what I wanted. I wanted <laughs> more Doctor more, Who. More of it, more of mm-hmm. it. With space lions, hooray! Well, and, you know, and they had the vampires in there. Yeah, the vampires. Uh, yeah, state of decay. The... I just thought it'd be, it, it would have been so cool. But... It would have been so cool. No, you're right. You're right. Excellent cliffhanger choice. Excellent mm-hmm. cliffhanger choice. So your your number your number three. My number three is, and I've actually I've now got a string of part one cliffhangers, which <laughs> I don't know whether that's a pattern that they started developing in the eighties to try and mm-hmm. get people to watch more of it. But this is the cliffhanger. It's the end of part one of Frontios. Oh, or interesting. Frontios. Okay. Or Frontios. <laughs> uh, Christopher Hamilton Bidmead story. It is indeed, and it has, you know, it's got it's it's got its crapness because obviously it's in the eighties. Eighties, <laughs> yeah. You know, the giant woodlice don't really work as villains, mm-hmm. but the end of part one has an amazing setup, which the TARDIS is destroyed. Yep. Yep. And they really go for broke. I mean, the TARDIS gets destroyed relatively often. Um, maybe not as much as we as we Did, remember. Has it been destroyed since the mine robber? Um, in jeopardy, maybe. I mean, the yeah, TARDIS jeopardy. is, is yep. kind of out of reach. You can't get to it. Mm-hmm. It's buried in a pile of rubble or blah, etc. Right. etc. Et yeah. yeah, buried yeah, yeah. or in. You know, it's been taken off by a hand has lifted it up and taken it away you know the the TARDIS is regularly made inaccessible to our heroes but this one they really and again this I think is partly what's wrong with the story but this this is is a good cliffhanger is they totally sell that the TARDIS has literally been destroyed and the Doctor is like visibly upset (laughs) all Um, he has is his coat rack all he has is the is the coat is the hat stand yep and um of course, what's wrong is that what's destroyed the TARDIS is some, like, gravity-manipulating giant wood lice from space, mm-hmm. you know, who really shouldn't have the power to destroy the TARDIS. Um, and, of course, they haven't really destroyed the TARDIS because it reassembles itself. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of a fake-out. Um, it kind of makes you want to watch the next episode. There is a kind of a good Sawardian grittiness to this one uh, in a good way, and I quite like Frontius a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's good. It's good. It totally collapses by episode three and a half. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the setup is excellent, and it's a good cliffhanger. The Doctor really believes the TARDIS has been destroyed, I mean, which is mm-hmm. silly of him, because he, he surely know must better. know, he should know better <laughs> that it's not that easy to destroy the TARDIS. But apparently, you know, giant wood lice from space have... Have that power. Yeah, well, they freak yeah. out Turlo big time. That's so. true. They do, yeah. He, he says, <laughs> He's he has foaming a, at the mouth. <laughs> he has a d- d- death, deathly fear of wood lice. Mm-hmm. What, do, what, what do you call wood lice here? You don't have wood lice in America, right? Uh, I'm sure we do. I don't know. Do you? Okay. Well, these, right. these are tractators, though, right? They are tractators, but I think they're based on wood lice. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they they didn't they make a reappearance in Knock Knock in last uh, last season last series? Oh yeah, I think they did actually. <laughs> weren't weren't those uh, like miniature tractators? No, they could have been. Uh, who knows? Anyway, yeah, I'm I'm now looking at what woodlice called in America. Anyway, so so you don't have enough knowledge of um, entomology? No, of, of, uh, no, of eighties um, <laughs> Doctor Who to have any opinion on that cliffhanger? Do you really? Uh. It's okay. I've probably seen it uh, all of three once. times. <laughs> once on broadcast, once on VHS, and once on DVDs. <laughs> it's just right. It, the the thing that always gets me about Frontios is it's it's very it's very eighties look with the hairstyles. Yep. Oh yeah. Very eighties hair. Yep. Very very eighties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the hair is the definitely the hair is very Bonnie Tyler. All the women have yeah. Bonnie Tyler hair. Yeah. It just doesn't. Uh, it doesn't. Uh, 
capture my interest. Well, you're lucky because I was I, I was going to pick part, at the end of part two of Time Flight. Um, oh God! When you're... the master reveals reveals to himself that he's been <laughs> dressing up as someone. You know, t- Time Flight. <laughs> Time Flight to people who watch it at a certain age is a beloved classic, and I really? just do yeah. not not get it. Like Elliot watched it, and it must have just hit the right age. The right age, right? And really? he really thinks Time Flight is exciting and interesting. You know, the Concords going back in time. This, but it just doesn't doesn't do anything for me at all. I just can't get into it. Uh, no, it's awful. I mean, you know, <laughs> again, it's like, well, you know, how did they think they were going to do like the effect of? Concord doing anything that mm-hmm. wasn't just sitting on the tarmac at Heathrow, in my well, opinion, you know. I don't know. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Personally, I think, I, I believe I've said this before, Time Flight should have been all about going back in time, but somehow trying to rescue Adric and every time they failed and yeah. something like that. Some kind of Adric-centric thing. Adric-centric, and, you know, and yep. the master's got the, his little pals, his, like, mm-hmm. you know, wibbly then, things. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. Any, we're, whatever. We're, yeah, we're, we're getting distracted. We're not talking about time flight. We are. We, are, we hate time flight. Um, I will go back to that, unless you have more to say about I don't. I have, very, I have nothing more okay. to say about Frontiers. I will go back to uh, that season of time flight oh, for my okay. third cliffhanger. And Interesting. It, it's a gimme. Okay. It's Earthshock Part 1. Oh, uh, yeah. I avoided Earthshock because yeah. that was too obvious. This is probably the cliffhanger of season 19 and it is to, yeah, to you're right set to stage here uh lieutenant scott and his squadron have been exploring the deaths in professor kyle's cave expedition they encounter the doctor and companions in these cave systems and blame them for the deaths uh, scott's troopers uh, uncover a metal hatch behind some rock wall and scott orders the doctor to open the hatch thinking that this is a secret that the doctor has been killing to protect just at the moment when the doctor is trying to figure out how to open it androids burst in the cave and start shooting everyone everyone scrambles for cover uh lieutenant scott asks the doctor are these his and the doctor says no you'll find that they'll kill me just as readily as they kill everyone else kyle identifies the noise of the androids as what killed her teams and then we switch the camera switches to the android point of view shot it's a kind of red tinted and you see it focusing on the doctor and then the famous cut right to the Cybermen. We hear the cyber leader, David Banks going, destroy them, destroy them at once. (laughs) End the scene. That is an amazing 1980s cliffhanger. And unfortunately it did so well that JNT pretty much ordered Sayward to reproduce it every series after that. So we have that following same thing like, same style with the resurrection of the Daleks, yeah, that yeah. they wanted to recapture that one moment in time and bottle it. And it's really, it's hard to do. But. Maybe that accounts for my, 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 my list of episode one cliffhangers going forward. You know, maybe that was like, you know, that was the rule. We have to have a strong cliffhanger at the beginning of each episode one. Could be, yeah, could be. Yeah. Um, I did not see it in the cliffhanger format. Oh, really? I saw it in omnibus format. And there's not much of a cliffhanger when you don't have to wait a week to freak out that the Cybermen are back. So for me, I had seen more Dalek stories due to Destiny and a Genesis of the Daleks. And the only callback for the Cybermen was, you know, the very camp but fun Revenge of the Cybermen. So I'm not sure for a fan, you know, a teenage fan in the 1980s in America seeing this in omnibus format that this was a great great cliffhanger but it's become a great cliffhanger once i had it in vhs tape once right, i see it right. in, on the dvd and just just uh, just the 
received fan wisdom of how epic this was for the viewers in the UK that it's elevated as one of the great cliffhangers of the JNT era. It is a good one. Again, just remembering back to when I first saw this, I remember, one, I was disappointed that the androids weren't Raston warrior robots. I thought that they, we were mm. being set up for like them because I thought they'd been awesome. Well, but what did, Oh, no, hang did, on. I, that's out of sequence. It's, 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 it's out of sequence. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that must be... that Timey-wimey. I'm, then I'm, I'm, I'm getting myself all, all mixed up there. But again, I was going to say, I also remember being slightly disappointed that the Cybermen looked different. I wanted them to look the same as Revenge of the Cybermen. Mm. Anyway. Not a fan of the 1980s cyber looks? No, I'm not really a fan Big of that. moon look. boots. With the moon and... boots and the, and the G-suits, spray silver. Mm. Nah. Those were the cool Cybermen for me growing up because right. I didn't see the 1960s Cybermen until after at least Earthshock. Well, I think, I mean, the first you know, Cybermen that I saw... Were, five Doctors. Yeah, the first Cybermen that I saw were the Revenge Cybermen, so those were kind of, you know, my Cybermen, basically. Right. But um, okay. it was, it's, it's pretty good. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty solid piece of sci-fi drama, um, mm-hmm. and it involves Adric dying, so that's a plus. <laughs> now, did you, did you see this one on broadcast? I think I might not have seen this. I think I might have seen this on repeat, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm, I'd have to. Because you might have been at school. I'd have to do some research on mm-hmm. my cyber history, on my, on my living situation at that point. Um, <laughs> was it was it broadcast on Saturday? Mm, I think it was on a weekday then. Or was it during the weekday? Yeah, I think all season nineteen. Was I think on. I might have seen this when when they repeated it. Maybe that's why I'm getting it mixed up with um with Raston Warrior Robots. I'll have to I'll have to, I'll have to see when when it was repeated, and then I'll know when I actually saw this. Mm-hmm. Anyway, interesting. Yeah, but it, 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 it is a good cliffhanger, though. It is it is a classic 80s cliffhanger. Absolute classic. So you're number four. My number four is, and I claim this one, though you know, you may also want to claim this one as well, um, it is the end of part one of Caves of Andrasani. Hmm, okay. Uh, the soldiers step forward and take aim. On command, they pump bullets into the Doctor and Perry. Yeah, so much like the cliffhanger at the end of episode one of the War Games. Exactly. And the beginning of part two is Chilak has the soldiers check their weapons. As the bodies are cut free of the execution posts, Morgus switches off the monitor. So even when we have the potential resolution of the cliffhanger, it is still apparent that both the Doctor and Perry are dead. Gunned down, yeah. Yeah. I think I knew at this point that this was going to be uh, Peter Davison's last outing as Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually really, obviously, kind of sold this as this something that might have actually happened. I, the Doctor could be dead Removed, because yeah. I knew that he was supposed to be dead at some mm-hmm. point or, uh, during, during the show. So and, and I think the other thing that really sells this as a cliffhanger is that unusually, um, instead of using space guns, they actually had real, actual bullet-firing guns, if that's the mm-hmm. thing. Um, yeah, Graham Harper was very big into his machine guns. Yeah, actual machine guns, which made it really quite horrible, in fact. Um, and it's, it's really super convincing. You really mm-hmm. do think the Doctor and Perry are probably dead at this point, which is what makes it a good cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, it is grim, it is gritty, it's not overly grim, it's not overly gritty. Sword hasn't completely taken over and made everything just so grim and gritty that it becomes ridiculous and camp. The, yeah, the reason being, this is Bob Holmes's masterpiece here. And this, this is, is Exactly. You know, this, this is, is Sayward's idol here, and he wasn't going to muck around with it. Not going to touch, not going to touch his idol. And Bob Holmes, you know, really, this should have been the last thing that Bob Holmes wrote for Doctor Who. This is like his final statement. It's got all the Holmesian uh, uh, ticks and bits to it. It all fits mm-hmm. together beautifully. And, you know, I think they should have let Bob bow out at this point. 
Hmm. But yeah, I, I, I like I like this case of Androzani very much. And mm-hmm. plus, it also has Morris Roeves in it, who I'm a big fan of. So interesting that you went with the part one rather than the probably more common uh, cited cliffhanger in this one would be the one at part three. Uh, what happens in part three? That's when the doctor is uh, locked into Stotz's uh, spaceship and he escapes and then he programs it to crash land and they're trying to break in there. Oh, yeah. I, I don't really like that as a cliffhanger. And the reason I don't like it that much is because it's, you know, it's more... It's more effects dependent, if you see what I mean. Um, I remember being very struck by the cliffhanger part one because it was totally kind of undependent on effects. It was basically Doctor and Perry put up against a wall, someone pulls out some machine guns, and they get machine guns. It was yeah. kind of very, very simple in that way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of disagree that it's, uh, part three is dependent on effects because it's mostly Stotts and the Doctor yelling at each other with the, you know, the doctor's very but then, uh, but then, but frantic I, speech of, you're not going to stop me now, I'm dying yeah, anyways. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, they're in a spaceship, though, so it's oh. like, you have to believe that the spaceship is like, it's going to crash, right, gonna right. crash right. in some way. Yeah. I see, okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, good cliffhanger. It's, it's always at the top or very near the top of all the Doctor Who magazine polls. That's so one of the best or the best stories in all of Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. So no surprise that it has one of the greatest cliffhangers in uh, Doctor Who history then. In all of the 1980s, yeah. Yep. So your number four is? My number four is part eight of The Trial of a Time Lord. This is the conclusion of the mind warp sequence. This is where... Perry's mind is erased and Lord Kidd goes into her body, I guess, or goes into her mind. Right. Perry is completely gone. There's no more Perry left. Uh, mentally, she no longer exists. King Yarkonis is caught in a time bubble by the Time Lords who say that everything has to be right before Yarkonis can enter the room. Part of the problem with the season is we're always cutting between the action and the courtroom drama. Right, right, right. But Perry, as Kiv wakes up, and she goes into this very deep voice. I don't know if it's uh, her voice being treated or a different actor doing her voice, but it's a very deep voice, and she goes, like, warm-blooded, I like this body, and she sits up. The Time Lords release the time bubble, and Yarkanos bursts into the laboratory. Lord Kiv sits up in Perry's body and says... Protect me. I am your lord and master. Yarkana screams, No! And we see kind of a special effects shoot, you know, distorted in time, just firing the gun. And then we cut back to the courtroom scene, and the doctor, Colin Baker, just looks stunned and just almost very silently going, You, you've killed Perry. Valyard says, She died because you abandoned her. And, you know, Dr spins around says those are lies i was taken out of time for some other reason and i have every intention to find out what it was so go into the closing credits the end of this episode and we have another companion death in really kind of a horrible way in a worse way than any other companion has died to this point because absolutely uh, perry's body is still there but her mind has been erased and by this slug mentor uh, Lord Kiv and the doctor is feeling pretty guilty at this point or feeling pretty badly or angry that he's being accused of abandoning his companion causing her death and then so this is for a Colin Baker cliffhanger this is a pretty pretty dramatic cliffhanger yeah it's it's desperately unfair though on Perry and I I I, I really absolutely not to, well, I didn't really like 
trial of a time lord to begin with but at this point i was like mm-hmm. oh that's just unnecessarily horrible the whole, the whole universe is, creeps on perry it's, yeah and it's it's i mean i think nowadays it's called what is it i think as a technical term it's like girl in the refrigerator it's like you know the what the motivation of the hero is that like a woman dies mm-hmm. you know and it's it's uh, i even then i thought it was icky and i think it's twice mm-hmm. as icky now well it's a very it's a very icky scene and it's very the way perry is ogled and treated yeah, i mean nasty. just in, just like in caves of Androzani, you know she's tormented by sherrick jack yeah. and she's dressed as a sex object and then ogled as a sex object and she she's put through so much crap by the jnt sayward team that this is this really is kind of a fitting end for her character in some ways just of the abuse that she has taken from not only the universe but just the doctor himself throughout their travels and i i have a hard time watching trial of time lord beyond this because i find it pretty traumatic just because how poorly colin baker's doctor and how poorly the series unfolded for me at at this point and then just to lose perry in this horrible way yeah yeah yeah. No, I mean, it's very indicative of what was going wrong with Who at that point, which I think is yes. what makes it a, an effective place to kind of talk about Who. It's, I mean, it's a, it's an, you know, it's a cliffhanger. You know, a, a companion yep. has been killed in the most horrible way possible, but you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's still, it's, 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 it, but it's not satisfying in any kind of way. It's, no, you know, it's, no, 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 no. It's no. just, um, it's just, it's memorable, it's memorable, memorable. It's memorable. It's just mm-hmm. unpleasant, basically. Yeah, I really am both watching this on broadcast and every time I try to watch it again on DVD, I, I never bought this on VHS. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just have a hard time getting through the trial of a Time Lord yeah. because of feelings, I guess. I don't like this era and I don't like how what they did with Perry. And yeah, yeah, they retcon her. Her and your Connors go get married, but even then, that's a horrible ending. So yeah, exactly. She it's just marries it's just space Brian Blessed and go and live with space <laughs> Brian Blessed for the rest of her life. Yeah, God, I'd rather yeah. be have my mind taken over by a space slug. Yeah, than that. Um, yeah, no, and again, all the way through, you now she gets turned into a bird. Um, mm-hmm. She has to wear a bikini most of the time, or if not a bikini, like a swim. It's the whole. Yeah, it's it's like a weird. It, it's it's you know it's a. It's cruel. It's, kind of, it's basically it's a, cruel. It's a weird misogyny of, of you know, mm-hmm. and I have two men who, you know, one of whom was gay, but still appeared, well, just because gay doesn't mean he has he, he to like women. But anyway, you know, like, they both seem to have a problem with women, both Saywood and, mm-hmm. and JNT. Mm-hmm. Well, they certainly had a problem with Nicola Bryant. Yeah, who's awesome. Nicola Bryant's such yeah. a nice person, by all accounts. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yes. so, hmm. Well, you'll you, you be pleased to know that my final cliffhanger is, of course... An actual cliffhanger. Oh God! You're going for Dragonfire. <laughs> Dragonfire. <laughs> All right. So, what episode of Dragonfire? It's the end of episode one, when just about when everyone has lost the will to live, including the viewer, <laughs> well, particularly yes. the viewer. The Doctor also yep. appears to decide that he's just going to kill himself, um, and he climbs <laughs> over a cliff and then hangs by his umbrella, <laughs> umbrella. over the edge of the cliff. <laughs> Yes. And then ch- for no reason, and then, for no reason, and then changes his mind, and someone rescues him, and then that's yes. the end of the cliffhanger. Uh. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it's awful. It's just, what the hell is going on? Uh, a literal It's a literal cliffhanger. And, you know, I'm all in favor of our favorite show being all meta with itself. And I'm sure that was maybe the intent. You know, or and, maybe and not. Sylvester's a great physical comedian and can do mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yep. But again, I, I and I and I watched it. I watched this when when this went out live, and I remember thinking like, <laughs> "I'm sorry, I, I need to go away and kill myself or something." Now you need a new hobby. I really need. You need a new favorite. I show. need to be a fan of something else because this isn't working. I think I was at college. Oh, oh no, I would have been at college. I would I would have been home for um oh, home for the vacation. I would have watched this at home. <laughs> God, my I hope my parents didn't watch it when I was watching it. They were like, oh, God, we've sent our child to the most prestigious university in the world. This is his favorite TV show. <laughs> Jesus, they must have said. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it's incredibly yeah. poor. Don't, but yeah, don't watch it, anyone, because it's yeah. not that good. Only reason to watch it, and we might watch it on Metabulous 2 if we ever do an Ace retrospective. But that's oh, the reason should, to watch it. We should do an Ace retrospective. Ace is great. Sophie Aldred's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, maybe after uh, Jodie Whittaker's first season. Yeah, that's, we'll you know, do an Ace that's a good idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, right. that's that's it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a joke. nothing, nothing really to recommend it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Although wasn't wasn't this the uh, Clara flashback in uh, Name of the Doctor that? Oh, she did she, flashback uh, to this, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is what this is the Moffat thing that he decided that he needed to fix in retconning with Clara yeah, or something like yeah. that. I d- and you know. And it's so memorable that I don't remember what, how, <laughs> what or how he retconned. It's other than so he chose Dragonfire. So we're like, oh, okay, yeah. well, well, that's my favorite one. Says yeah, I guess yeah. I guess you're a better fan than I am, Moffat. Yeah, he's, <laughs> a, yeah. On a cold evening, he settles down to watch Dragonfire. He's a sign of a real fan. We're just we're just yep. we're just fly by night, non-serious <laughs> fans. <laughs> All right, so for my non-serious final pick, it's actually a pretty serious story. It's another ace story. Curse of Fenric Part 3. I knew you were going to go for Fenric because you're a big Fenric fan. Yeah, I am a big Fenric fan. I think it's one of the the better better stories in the 1980s, yes. So this is Part 3. Probably stepping on your toes as a scholar of uh, Viking lore, but... uh, That's me. (laughs) So they have found this Viking flask, and they're feeding it in the runes into the Alta machine, trying to decode it. Um, the the flask zaps, sends out bolts of lightning, and it zaps Dr. Judson, who is uh, an, a scientist who's confined to his wheelchair. Yep. He's propelled backwards across the room in his chair, and he screams and falls out of the store. Meanwhile, a storm is brewing and raging. The doctor and Ace rush into the room and saying, no one touch touch him you know judson's on the floor or anything and commander Milliton, millington is out to lunch a little bit yeah. he goes the time is now the chains of fenric are shattered the gods have lost the final battle ace goes it's him he's fenric or something like that and everyone's eyes are on millington who just is rambling on this nonsensical pseudo norse uh, mythology meanwhile Judson stands up behind the doctor. He opens his eyes, which are glowing this sickly pale yellow, and he speaks very softly, very slowly. We play the contest again, Time Lord. End of scene. It's a good one. And I, you know, it's it's ominous. The direction on it isn't really good. They should have just ended on 
Judson saying we play the contest again, Time Lord, instead of cutting to McCoy at the end. But it's a good cliffhanger. It sets up the final part, part four, perfectly. And it does compel you to want to watch what, you know, what is this final final contest, the final game right, that right. the McCoy Doctor is going to be playing yep, yep. with Fenric. Yep. No, it's a good one. I've, I've got. I've, I mean, you you know my quibbles about the curse of Fenric. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great cliffhanger, though. A- Any time yeah. someone is in a wheelchair and they get up from the wheelchair and then their eyes start glowing, you know it's <laughs> going to be good. I'll yeah. just reference. I'll just reference Pyramids of Mars. Anytime anyone is sitting down and you think they're going to be sitting down forever, and instead of sitting mm-hmm. down, they stand up and then their eyes glow. I'm sold. I'm sold. That's always good. Always good. Yep. So, yep. I still don't know how they're going to get that giant machine in that little rubber dinghy, though, and and row it across the North Sea. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't understand how um, that's going to happen. But they are Russians, uh, so you know, maybe maybe they are clever. They are. They're, they're, they're clever. very clever people. Yes. <laughs> yep. They, they certainly have the West currently under their. Uh, they do <laughs> devices. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Fake news. Yeah. Yeah, they're very good at games. They are. The, these they Russians. Are. They are. So. Yeah. My my qualms with the story is, of course, the just the whole this is the doctor, this past history of the doctor being more mysterious and sophisticated, or he's played Fenric before, right? And he trapped him, and we have this whole doctor is mysterious backstory, which you know, which is all all the vogue in this era. Yeah. But that was a very good cliffhanger yep. in a, a really good serial. It's it's a, it's a classic serial. It's my favorite in the McCoy era. No, nothing to argue with there. Well, right. Yeah, we we survived. We've, done it. We've survived. We've survived a decade's worth of poor cliffhangers and um, pulled out some good ones, I think. Yeah, yay us. And we are primed for next time. We are going to look at RTD, uh, the return, uh, the RTD era cliffhanger. We are. So that should be good. That should be good. Are we, how are we going to find five? Well, we can talk about this off air. Yes. Well, well, we'll we'll have to find five. Love we'll, we'll find we'll a figure way. Figure it out somehow. We'll figure it out somehow. Yeah. And, you know, a cliffhanger definitely doesn't have to be a two-parter. It, it could also be a lot of uh, what goes from one to the other story because the RTD stories really seem to they happen uh, almost in real time. And there's your cold open as well, of course, which which mm. often starts with a cliffhanger. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. We we could consider the cold, the cold open, open as a cliffhanger. Be a cliffhanger too. Ooh, Ooh, that would be a good just one. Just tune in next week and you'll find out what we decide. <laughs> yeah. Should be interesting. Should be a good Fantastic. One. All right. Well, thank you for listening to episode 76 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been talking with Ben. And I have been talking with Davis. And good night. Good night. Good night.